0: Section 5 of Five Years of My Life, 1894 1899. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sue Anderson. Five Years of My Life, 1894 1899, by Alfred Dreyfus. Translated from the French. Section 5. The Journey to Devil's Island, consisting of two parts, The Journey to Devil's Island and The Devil's Island Diary, April 14th and 15th, 1895. Part 1. The Journey to Devil's Island. On the 21st of February, I saw my wife for the last time. She asked that they tie her hands behind her back and let her approach and kiss me. The director gave a rough refusal. After the interview, which was from two to three o'clock, I was suddenly told that I must get ready for my departure, without either of us having been previously informed. The preparations consisted in making a bundle of my clothes. Before the departure I was again stripped and searched, and then led between six guards to the dock. There I was embarked on a steam launch, which brought me in the evening to the roadstead of Rochefort, From the launch I was taken on board the transport San Nazaire. Not a word had been spoken, not a hint had been given as to the place whither I was to be transported. As soon as I reached the San Nazaire, they placed me in one of a number of convict cells on the forward deck, which were closed by a simple grating. The part of the deck in front of these cells was uncovered. The night was dark and the cold fearful nearly fourteen degrees centigrade below zero, about seven degrees Fahrenheit. Only a hammock was thrown to me, and I was left without food. The memory of my wife, whom I had left a few hours before, in complete ignorance of my departure, whom I had not even been able to embrace, the memory of my children and all those dear friends whom I left behind me in sorrow and despair, my uncertainty as to the place whither they were taking me, the situation in which I found myself, all threw me into a state that cannot be described. I could only fling myself upon the ground in a corner of my cell and weep and shiver throughout the night. The next day the San nazaire weighed anchor. The first days of the passage were desperately hard. My open cell was bitter cold, and sleep in the hammock was painful. For food I had the regular convict's ration— handed me in old preserve cans. I was watched by one guard during the day, and at night by two, always armed and under strict orders not to speak to me. After the fifth day I was allowed to go on deck one hour each day, accompanied by two guards. After the eighth day the weather grew gradually warmer, and then became torrid. I knew that we were nearing the equator, but of my destination I had no hint. After a passage of fifteen days, we dropped anchor on the 12th of March, 1895, in the roadstead of the Isle du Salut. I had a hint of the place from bits of conversation among the guards, who spoke among themselves of posts to which they might be sent, and mentioned names which I recognized as belonging to localities in Guiana, I hoped that I should be disembarked at once, but I had to wait nearly four days confined in my cell in this tropical heat. In fact, no preparations had been made for receiving me, and everything had to be hurried. On the 15th of March I was landed and shut up in a room of the prison establishment of the Ile Royale. This strictly close confinement lasted nearly a month. On April thirteenth, I was taken to the Ile du Diable, a barren rock used previously for the isolation of lepers. The Ile du Salut form a group made up of three islets the Ile Royale, where the commander in chief of the prisons of the three islands has his dwelling, the Ile Saint Joseph, and the Ile du Diable. On my arrival at the Ile du Diable, the following measures were taken for my disposal and were in force until 1896. The hut, destined for my use, was built of stone, and covered about seventeen square yards. The windows were grated. The door was of lattice work with simple iron bars. This door led to a little hallway six feet square, the entrance to which was closed by a solid wooden door. In this anteroom a guard was always on duty, these guards were relieved every two hours they were not to lose sight of me day or night five men were detailed to that service at night the outer door was closed inside and out so that every two hours at guard relief there was an infernal clatter of keys and ironwork. by day i had the right to go about in that part of the island comprised between the landing-place and the little valley where the lepers camp had been a treeless space of less than half an acre i was absolutely forbidden to leave these limits the moment i started out i was accompanied by the guard who was not to lose sight of a single one of my movements the guard was armed with a revolver later on a rifle and cartridge belt were added i was expressly forbidden to speak to anyone whomsoever At the beginning, my rations were those of a soldier in the colonies, but without wine. I had to do my own cooking, and, in fact, to do everything myself. The following pages are an exact reproduction of the diary which I kept from the month of April, 1895, until the autumn of 1896. It was intended for my wife. This diary was seized with all my papers in 1896, and was never turned over to my wife. I was able to obtain possession of it only at the time of the Ghenne trial in 1899. End of section 1. Section 2. The Devil's Island Diary. April 14th and 15th, 1895. Ile du Salut. My Diary. To be handed to my wife. Sunday. April 14th, 1895. Today I begin the diary of my sad and tragic life. Indeed, only today have I paper at my disposal. Each sheet is numbered and signed, so that I cannot use it without its being known. I must account for every bit of it. But what could I do with it? Of what use could it be to me? To whom would I give it? What secret have I to confide to paper, questions and enigmas. Until now I have worshipped reason. I have believed there was logic in things and events. I have believed in human justice. Anything irrational and extravagant found difficult entrance into my brain. Oh, what a breaking down of all my beliefs and of all sound reason. What fearful months I have passed. What sad months still await me. During these first days, when, in the disarray of mind and senses which was the consequence of the iniquitous sentence passed on me, I had resolved to kill myself, my dear wife, with her undaunted devotion and courage, made me realize that it is because I am innocent that I have not the right to abandon her, or willfully to desert my post. I knew she was right, and that this was my duty, but Yet I was afraid, yes, afraid of the atrocious mental sufferings the future had in store for me. Physically, I felt myself strong enough. A pure conscience gave me superhuman strength. But the mental and physical tortures have been worse than I feared. And today I am broken in body and spirit. However, I yielded to my wife. I lived. But what a life! I underwent first the worst punishment which can be inflicted on a soldier, a punishment worse than any death. Then, step by step, I traversed the horrible path which brought me hither, by the Sante prison and the depot of the Il de Rey, supporting without flinching the insults and cries, but leaving a fragment of my heart at every turn of the road. My conscience bore me up, My reason said to me each day, The truth at last will shine forth triumphant. In a century like ours the light cannot long remain concealed. But, alas, each day brought with it a new deception. The light not only did not shine forth, but everything was done to dim it. I am still in the closest confinement. All my correspondence is read and checked off at the ministry, and often not forwarded they even forbade my writing to my wife about the investigations which i wished to counsel her to have made it is impossible for me to defend myself i thought that once in exile i might find if not rest this i cannot have till my honor is restored at least some tranquillity of mind and life which might help me to wait for the day of rehabilitation what a new and bitter disappointment! After a voyage of fifteen days, shut up in a cage, I first remained for four days in the roadstead of the Ile de Salou, without going on deck, in the midst of tropical heat. My brain and my whole being melted away in despair. When I was landed, I was shut up in a room of the prison, with closed blinds, prohibited from speaking to anyone, alone with my thoughts, with the regime of a convict. My correspondence had first to be sent to Cayenne. I do not know yet if it came to hand. Since I landed a month ago, I have remained locked in my pen without once leaving it, in spite of all the bodily fatigue of my painful journey. Several times I, all but went crazy, i had congestion of the brain and i conceived such a horror of life that the temptation came to me to have no care of myself and so put an end to my martyrdom this would have been deliverance and the end of my troubles for i should not have perjured myself as my death would have been natural the remembrance of my wife and of my duty toward my children has given me strength to pull myself together i am not willing to nullify her efforts And abandon her in her mission of seeking out the truth and the guilty man for this reason in spite of my fierce distaste of seeing a new face which would be sure to be inimical i asked for the doctor at last after thirty days of this close confinement they came to fetch me to the il du diable where i shall enjoy a semblance of liberty By day I shall be able to walk about in a space less than half an acre, followed step by step by the guards. At nightfall, between six and half past six o'clock, I shall be shut up in my hut, thirteen feet square, closed by a door made of iron bars, through which relays of guards will look at me all the night long." a chief and five guards are exclusively appointed to this service my rations are half a loaf of bread a day three hundred grams two-thirds of a pound of meat three times a week the other days canned pork or canned beef for an honorable and innocent man what a terrible existence of constant suspicion of uninterrupted surveillance and then I have never any news of my wife and children. Yet I know that since the twenty ninth of March, nearly three weeks ago, there have been letters for me at Cayenne. I have had them telegraphed to Cayenne and to France for news of my dear ones. There is no reply. Oh, how I wish to live until the day of rehabilitation, to cry out my sufferings and give voice to the pangs of my heart. Shall I last so long? Often I have doubts. My heart is so oppressed and my health so shaken. Sunday night, April 14th to 15th, 1895. It is impossible for me to sleep. This cage before which the guard walks up and down like a phantom appearing in my dreams, the plague of insects which run over my skin the rage which is smothered in my heart that i should be here when i have always and everywhere done my duty all this over excites my nerves which are already shattered and drives away sleep when shall i again pass a calm and tranquil night perhaps not until i find in the tomb the sleep that is everlasting how sweet it will be to have no further concern with human vileness and cowardice the sea which i hear murmuring beneath my little window has always for me a strange fascination it soothes my thoughts bitter and somber though they be it recalls dear memories the happy days i have passed with my wife and darling children i have again a violent sensation which i felt on the boat of being drawn almost irresistibly towards the sea whose murmurous waters seem to call me with the voice of a comforter this tyranny of the sea over me is almost irresistible on the boat i had to close my eyes and call up the image of my wife not to yield to it where are the beautiful dreams of my youth and the aspirations of my manhood my heart is dead within me my brain reels with the turmoil of my thoughts what is the mystery underlying this tragedy even now i understand nothing of what has passed to be condemned without palpable proofs on the strength of a bit of handwriting? However clear the soul and conscience of a man may be, is there not more than enough here to enfrenzy him? The sensitiveness of my nerves after all this torture has become so acute that each new impression, even from without, produces on me the effect of a deep wound. The same night, I have just tried to sleep, but after dozing a few minutes I awoke burning with fever, and it has been so every night for months. How has my body been able to resist such a combination of physical torments added to mental torture? I think that a clear conscience, sure of itself, must give invincible strength. I open the blind which closes my little window and look again upon the sea. The sky is full of great clouds but the moonlight filters through, tinging the sea with silver. The waves break powerless at the foot of the rocks which outline the shape of the island. There is a constant lapping of the water as it plays on the beach with a rude staccato rhythm that soothes my wounded soul. And in this night, in the deep calm, there come back to my mind the dear images of my wife and children, How my poor Lucy must suffer from so undeserved a lot, after having had everything to make her happy, and happy she so well deserves to be, for the purity and sweetness of her character, for her tender and devoted heart. Poor, poor little wife! When I think of her and of my children, something within me gives way, and my grief finds vent in sobs. I am going to try to work at my English. Perhaps the task will let me forget a little. Monday, April fifteenth eighteen ninety five. There was a deluge of rain this morning. For my breakfast, I had nothing. The guards took pity on me and gave me a little black coffee and bread. When the storm lightened, I made the rounds of the little portion of this islet which is reserved to me. It is a sad place, this island. Where I cannot go, there are a few banana trees and a few cocoa palms and the rest is dry soil from which basaltic rocks crop out everywhere. At ten o'clock they bring me my day's food, a bit of canned pork, some rice, some coffee berries in filthy condition, and a little moist sugar. I have no means of roasting the coffee, which in bitter derision is given to me raw. I throw it all into the sea. Then I try to make a fire. After several fruitless efforts I succeed. I heat up water for my tea. My luncheon is made up of bread and tea. What agony of my whole being! What a sacrifice I have made in giving my pledge to live! Nothing will be spared me, neither mental torture nor physical suffering. Oh, that plangent sea, which is always muttering and howling at my feet! What an echo to my soul! The foam of the wave which breaks upon the rocks is so softly white that I could throw myself upon it to seek rest and be lost. End of Part 2. End of Section 5.